What's up? And welcome to Espresso with Erin and Sarit, the show where you go to gain the confidence and self-empowerment that you need to live your best and most authentic life. Tough love conversations to reveal the simple truths that will transform your relationships, your body, and your bank account. We are your hosts. I'm Erin. And I'm Sarit. And we are on a mission to transform the lives of millions through the same fitness, nutrition, lifestyle, and financial habits that have transformed ours. Good, Good morning, you guys, and welcome to our show. Dr. Caroline Leaf is a communication pathologist and cognitive neuroscientist. That already sounds so smart in and of itself. <laughs> uh, she specializes in cognitive and metacognitive neuropsychology since the early 1980s you guys she has researched the mind brain connection and the nature of mental health and the formation of memory she was one of the first in her field to study how the brain can change with directed mind input caroline is in a mission to make mental health care more affordable applicable accessible worldwide and to reduce the stigma around mental health her newest book, Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess, is now available for purchase. And today we're going to learn about how one can optimize mental health sustainably. Dr. Caroline Leaf, we're so grateful for the opportunity to have you on our show today. I'm so thrilled to be on your show. So thank you so much. You're both so full of energy. I'm already happy. Yay! <laughs> I'm not happy, but now I'm even happier. <laughs> and you've got the espresso. I have two. Hey, I, I was watching your Instagram. Hey, coffee with Caroline. I was like, we do espresso with Erin and Sarit. Here you go. Okay. See, I tell you, it's wise minds think alike. Exactly. <laughs> good good what a compliment. Well, hey, I'm curious. How did your passion for mental health come about? Uh, 38 years ago, I was sitting in one of my lectures, and this is how long I've been in the field, is um, I was sitting in one of my lectures, and they said the brain can't change. And when, I, when they said that, I thought, no, something's wrong here because we as humans are constantly growing and changing. So our brain must change. And at that stage in the 80s, they didn't believe the brain could change. And that's why I did some of the first, as you read out, I did some of the first work in that, in that field. And I basically said to the professors, but I'm sure mine can change because our brain, and therefore, therefore our brain can change. And I started working with people with traumatic brain injuries, people that had really, really severe trauma, that they'd been in comas and that kind of thing, because they, there was very little research about those kind of people that had those kind of issues. And my professor said, it's a ridiculous question. I even did a TED talk on this, saying that, can the mind change the brain? So I said, well, let me prove it. Let me take the worst most damaged population I can find with the brain and show that you can change. So that's where it started. And I started working with people. And I, my one of my first subjects was a 16-year-old who'd had a car accident. And she was in the coma for two weeks. And the doctors had written her off. And her parents just didn't give up. And then they approached me. And when they did, she was on like a second grade level. And, I, and she wanted to get back to finishing 12th grade because her peer group were now in 12th grade. And because of the time she had lost. So we worked for three hours a week. Uh, for eight months, within eight months, this girl not only went from second grade level because she had dropped to second grade after the accident, she functioned, her cognitive function just was very, very low. Within eight months, she caught up, finished 12th grade with her peer group and went on to become a math genius. And she was really poor at math, math before the accident and went on to get a degree. And 
I'll tell you, that just got me going. And it was just, it was that passion and seeing that. And then working, I was in South Africa at that point. And it, South Africa was still in the terrible apartheid era. And I saw the damage around me, what, what was going on. So I started working in all the township areas, which is where they had kind of pushed all the black people out to. And I started, I saw the effects of racism. So I started working three days a week in those areas, helping people just with the emotions and learning and education. Because the education was so poor that no one was teaching them how to learn. So I climbed in, then did that. And just and then was doing research and that just really got me going with hey minds are like powerful you know we need to seriously understand mind and no one's talking about mind everyone's talking about the brain and everything I was studying the brain and I was a neuroscientist and communication pathologist doing all this mind brain stuff and but no one was really studying what the mind was so I started that back in the late 80s and wanted to know what is your mind and what are thoughts and what are emotions and what's mental health and what's this mind brain connection and do we have any control and that's the big thing can we can we control our thought life and is there do we have any sense of agency or autonomy and the answer to all of that is yes the mind is separate from the brain and the mind controls the brain and we can control our mind because we are our mind. And so that just basically continued fast forward to today and my, my most recent book, which is actually my 19th book in this field. And, yeah, and there's some clinical trials in here. So my most recent research I put in here summarized very simple because I think it's so important that people see the science, the evidence how, of how brilliant we are as humans and how we can change our mind and what happens when we do in our brain and our body. So there's a quick overview. I love it. You know, one of the things that we often say is that your mind can either be your greatest liability or your greatest asset. So, you know, my question for you is like, how does one change their mind from, you know, like a liability to become their greatest asset? I love that. I love that question. It's a, it's a really great question. Well, that's why that's why I talk about cleaning up your mental mess. Because if I note that I say clean, you clean up your mental mess. We we do have this ability to make our mind our greatest liability because it is. The problem is that we just people don't teach it. People don't tell us what mind is, as I was mentioning already. So what we need to do to 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 switch it is to understand what mind is and then how to manage it. So. If I can start there, I'm going to use some props. I've got some really great props here. I've got a body and I've got a brain and a skull. It's not real, wish it was, but um, I didn't, don't have any real life brains here at the moment. Um, but essentially, our brain and our body, oh, I shouldn't say that. My brain is alive. Okay, so <laughs> our brain and our body is basically 1% of who we are. So if you look at your body, that's only 1% of who you are. What's the other 99 your mind. That's what's so powerful. So the difference between a dead person and us here alive having this conversation is our mind. Our mind is that aliveness. It's this you-ness, this ability that you, that you, the three of us and everyone listening and watching have to have a conversation and to process each other's conversation. When you open your eyes in the morning, between the time you open your eyes and you go to sleep, your mind hasn't stopped converting more or less eight to 8,000 to 10,000 experiences that we have in a day into physical protein structures inside of your brain. So your mind does this, that kind of, you, you experience life with your mind and you process that and you put that into your brain. Literally, you, your mind literally puts that experience into your brain as these energetic waves. And then your brain responds on a chemical and electrical and genetic level. And then that 
to what you're hearing and what you're hearing me say now is converting into these little tree-like structures inside of your brain. So you're growing trees inside of your brain and you grow about, and these are thoughts. Thoughts look like trees and you grow around eight to 10,000 of those in a day, which is really amazing. And not only does your mind convert what you hear, think what you're hearing, thinking, seeing and feeling about in your environment but it also puts it into your brain and it also puts it into your body so every cell of your body also is storing a memory of what you are hearing at the moment and in the dna of the cells of the body and in your gravitational fields of your mind so so let me start that again because i know it sounds super confusing body is one percent mind is 99 what is mind it's actually a gravitational field that moves around and through the body so each of us have our own gravitational field this work started back like 150 years ago early 19th century Einstein was already talking about how we have photons and we emit photons and and you can experience photons if you think of someone who gets mad and they get angry and you may be in a conversation they start screaming and shouting at you and their body movements and words it feels like you you almost stand back it feels like something's hitting you if someone's angry and they do this to you that is genuine your gravitation you're shooting photons from your body at that person and you can feel that so in other words our mind is this has this physics quality of these gravitational fields and to understand a gravitational field, think of the fact that none of us are floating at the moment. We, we're staying seated because of gravity. So we live in gravitational fields, but we each have our own gravitational field. And why is that important? Because that's what you are, that's what you are using at the moment to actually process what you're hearing. So at this very moment, at 400 billion actions per second, you and all the listeners and viewers are taking my words and processing them through this gravitational field. Psychologically, that means that you are thinking, feeling, and choosing at 400 billion actions per second, what, what you're hearing me say, and you're putting that in your brain, and your brain is turning that into little trees, little trees made of proteins. And like a tree's got branches and a little trunk and roots, the roots are in the pot, my words are and our conversation are the roots. So that's the source. The roots are the source. And then the little tree trunk that grows and the branches are how you interpret what I'm saying. So everyone here, I don't know how many people are listening and watching, but however many there are, you're all hearing the same stuff. So your roots are all the same. But the interpretation of what you're hearing is different for every person because we all have our own unique mind. We all have our own unique way that we think and feel and choose. So on a psychological level, the mind is the... The, the 99% mind is how you think, how you feel, and how you choose. So when you think you feel, when you think and feel, you choose. And you're always thinking, feeling, and choosing. And that's what keeps the, bra the brain and body alive. Your thinking, feeling, and choosing drives your brain. It drives your eyes. It drives your heart. It drives your lungs. It drives your digestive system. Everything about your functioning is driven by your by your mind. So mind is number one. Mind even controls the digestive system. So if you, let's say that you have just eaten a great healthy organic um, breakfast, okay, cage-free eggs and organic and the whole thing. But if you're still worrying and your mind's like out of control, you would have lost up to 80% of the nutrition of that good food because your mind is out of control. So, I mean, this is why it's so important to get our mind to that it's, that it's an asset and not a liability. So, for example, like I always do fasted workouts. So, the other day, my husband and I are at the gym in the morning and one of the ladies waves at us and says, hey, you guys are here early just to get, are you here just to get your workout over and done with? And my immediate response was, no, if I just came to get my workout over and done with, I would lose probably 70, 80% of the benefit because my mind was wrong. 
So your mind's driving the benefit of your workout, the, the, the nutrition of your food. That, that's why it's such a liability or an asset. So if I go there with a bad attitude or I eat with a bad attitude or I do anything with the wrong, no, mis, no mind management, you mess up. So you're, kind of, you, you're getting the picture. I see you both getting super excited. Do you want to ask me some questions before I unpack that in more detail? Go for it. My question is, can we just pause for half a second so that people can put out the fires on their paper from all the notes that they're trying to take as fast as you have want to? Have a sip of coffee. Okay, perfect. <laughs> Everyone have a sip of coffee. So while you guys are writing this, you know, this is just an off-topic question. Like, tell us about your coffee. What is your coffee of choice? How do you drink it? Hold on. Can I ask? You said <laughs> you said that we think, choose, and feel at, at 4 billion what per second? Axioms. We think, <laughs> we think actions, we think, feel, and choose. So you think first, when you think you feel, that's the order. You think, as soon as you think you'll feel, as soon as you think and feel, you'll choose. So those three always work in order and they never work apart. So every, and it's 400 billion actions per second on the non-conscious level of the mind, which operates 24-7. The conscious level, which is where, what we're in now, and that conscious level is when we awake. So when you awake, your conscious mind's operating and your non-conscious. Non-conscious is going at 400 billion actions per second, 24-7. But when we're conscious, we experience that every 10 seconds. So every 10 seconds, we can actually be aware of how we are thinking, feeling, and choosing, which is really amazing. I don't think my calculator even goes high <laughs> enough to understand or display how many actions per, per day we have. Because per day, there's... 86,400 seconds. And then you've got right. that. So that's how fast it is. So the, 4 billion? 400 billion actions per second. So oh, wow. 400 billion? 400 billion actions per second. That's It's actually fast. It's 10 to the 27, but that's just too hard to explain. So I use <laughs> 400 billion actions per second. So it just means that, that and that's the non-conscious. And that's the biggest part of your mind where all your thoughts which are in which are like trees and like a thought a tree's got branches and roots you can see lots of branches lots of roots every thought has got lots of branches lots of memories so what is a memory what's a thought that's a thought a thought's one big thing it's a tree and then the memories are the roots and the branches see so so one thought's got lots and lots of memories so if you bring a thought up it comes up with lots of information because the thought is the concept so the thought might be coffee and then the an experience, then, then all, and that's the so that's the thought. But then there's all the experience of your of your coffee experience. So how you, the different everything you know about coffee, and then how you experience coffee. I mean that's such a stupid example. But let's say it's a um, this conversation now. We're talking about mind, brain, mental health, that kind of thing. So this thought that you that everyone's building is mind, brain, mental health, whatever you called it. But as I'm speaking, I'm giving you lots of memories in the roots, <clears throat> and then you immediately instantaneously at that 400 billion actions per second, you are building the branches, your interpretation. These are your behaviors and your emotions, what you think, feel, and choose about what I'm telling you. So you build this combined thing. And then this is the thing that drives what you say and what you do. So this is behind your action. So this is a healthy one. Here's a toxic one. So this is the liability, liability issue. Okay, so here's like a toxic thought. So this looks like 
and they, and the thoughts look like trees in the brain. The healthy thoughts, the proteins are all folded nicely, and the energy waves are all right, and the chemicals. This one, the proteins are all folded weird, and they, it's like The Walking Dead, you know, in Game of Thrones. But it's alive, you know. This is alive, but it's and it's, it's the proteins are distorted, and the energy is all weird. And this is in the brain, and this is our brain. This this threatens survival. In fact, your brain's immune system will look at this and say, hey, that's a threat to survival in the same way that it does with something like COVID virus. So if you have any virus in your body, your immune system says, hey, get rid of that. Send out immune factors, send out the soldiers to fight. It does the same with a toxic thought. So let's say that this is now, the roots are always the source. So let's say now that this is something like in childhood, you maybe have abuse or you get bullied or you have an issue in a relationship or whatever, trauma. That's the experience. That's your interpretation of the experience. And as it's, and that then is in, uh, determining your behavior. And um, so if we don't deal with these, these are threatening survival. Our body's going into high levels of inflammation. And that increases the vulnerability of our brain and our body by 35 to 98% to diseases. So I'm not saying that if you think a toxic thought, you're going to get sick. I'm just saying that if you don't manage your mind by getting rid of these things, and dealing with them, because we, we do this all the time, we're all a mental mess. If you're human, you're a mess. That's just bottom line. But you can manage it. That's the difference. You can you can be self, every 10 seconds, you can self-regulate. You can accept that you're a mess. You can recognize the mess and you can fix. If you do that, you decrease the vulnerability of your body and to, to and brain and body to disease. But if you don't, if you just, that's where the liability factor comes in. If you just bumble through life and just crash through life and just react and don't deal with anything, suppress the traumas, suppress the patterns, ignore the patterns, ignore all those warning signals, then you increase the liability of your body. You increase the vulnerability of your body. It's much easier for you to get sick. And when your body and brain are sick, then your mind is also affected because your mind moves through the brain and the body. So it's like trying to use a broken computer. You know, you've got to look after both because there's this feedback loop. Does, does that make sense? I think based off of the number of actions per second that this has really got you. This has really got you. <laughs> I'm, 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 my, my head has spun around 16 times. <laughs> well, this, it just shows how brilliant we are. We actually, humans are phenomenal. Yes, I, it's, it's absolutely a miracle. And I wonder, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking to myself, if she has the ability to practice all of this knowledge that she has and put it into application she's going to live to be 200 years old maybe i will as long as i don't look like someone who's a shovel that prune you know that <laughs> can you imagine what someone would look like at 200 oh my goodness but you know we can we, we can live longer we can and the biggest thing though i think what's more important is we want to improve the we want to keep the the, the health of our the quality we don't want just length we want quality and we want that mental peace we don't want to be and, and, and I'm not talking toxic positivity here. I'm not talking the law of attraction. I'm not talking all that stuff. That stuff doesn't work. That stuff's just, you know, it, it's a misinterpretation of what really is happening. We need to accept that depression, anxiety, these things, this is part of who we are as humans. They're just responses to adverse circumstances. But we've had this terrible narrative spun to us over the last 40 years, which tells us that, hey, if you feel anxious or you feel depressed or you feel anything like that, you're mentally ill. You suddenly have a mental illness. And we hear all the time the words mental illness and mental illness is on the rise. And then, you know, here we get to the pandemic. And then the, the, the messaging that we're getting even more is this tremendous 
fear messaging that mental illness is on the rise and now we're going to have another pandemic in mental illness. And I disagree with that. I disagree with the fact that mental illness is on the rise, number one. What is on the rise is mismanagement of mind. That's created the issue. So, so what we've had for the last 40 years is we've been told this story. And I watch this in because I've been in, this is the length of my career. And this thing started at the beginning of my career. And what thing? This thing of understanding more and more about the brain, which is a good thing, but it's been a bad thing in that everything now is about the brain. So the humanity has been taken out of the factor and we've become our brains. So mind and brain have been seen as the same thing. And as I explained right at the beginning, mind and brain aren't the same thing. They're two separate things. Mind is this 99% FOSS thing, that processing, think, feel, choose thing. Brain is the physical that just is a responder, brain and body. But if we make everything about our brain and, we, and as soon as someone is depressed or anxious, we say, okay, now you've got a brain disease, you've got a mental illness. I mean, that's, that is not actually the science. It's not accurate. And that thinking pre-COVID, just before COVID even hit, this kind of thinking that you are your brain and that if you have any kind of emotion, it's, some, it's, it's indicative of an illness like diabetes and that you have a chemical imbalance if you have depression. That's not accurate science. Not even scientists worth a grain of salt will talk about chemical imbalance. It's not even a scientific concept. And billions and billions have been spent trying to say that if you feel depressed or sad or anxious, there's something wrong with you. And that's terrible. Now think of it like this. Let's say that you have a really bad situation, a couple of bad situations that happen, and it makes you really anxious. Now, that anxiety in response to that bad situation is a normal response to adverse circumstances. Now, let's say you go to a dinner party, and you're sitting with your friends, and you and you turn around to them, and you say, I'm going to paint two scenarios, and you say, okay, I went to the doctor today, and I have been clinically diagnosed as having a neuropsychiatric brain disease. I'm mentally ill. Everyone at the table will look at you and think, whoops, I better keep quiet, delicate, treat them differently. You don't know what to do. And, and the immediate thing is that, okay, there's something seriously wrong with that person. And you kind of pull back. But if you went to that dinner party and you said rather, you rather said this, oh, guys, I've had the most terrible week and in fact month and then it triggered all the stuff from my past and I, I felt so anxious. It's been such a, and you proceed to explain what you've gone through. Everyone leans in and everyone says, oh, I'm so sorry. Tell, how can we help you? Gosh, I know what you mean. I went through this and suddenly you're sharing and now you've, it's not this weird thing that's happening. It's just a normal human response. Can you see the difference there? What we've done for 40 years is we've said as soon as someone feels sad or anxious or whatever, and the, the, the medical community, the psychiatric community, the mental health concept has been, there's something wrong with you. No, there's nothing wrong with you. You're a human. You And humans are messy. Life is messy. You've had adverse circumstances. So therefore, you are responding in an adverse, in, in a quite a normal way to an adverse circumstance. So depression and anxiety aren't an illness. They are warning signals. So, so look at this tree here. It's generating a warning signal so depression and anxiety would be our warning signals with your, which is your brain and your body and your mind saying hey wake up pay attention this is actually causing an immune response in your body there's increased inflammation your cortisol is going up your heart's going to be affected do something about this and that do something isn't suppress it with with a drug because then it doesn't go away it just gets shoved down and, and your brain just gets numbed and that just causes brain damage so you don't want that. You want, and then, then when the drug wears off, this is still there. But now you've got this, plus you've got the damage from the drug. Now you've got two things to deal with. That doesn't help anyone. So then they give you more drugs. And then they tell you when you've got more side effects that your illness is coming back. We've been told such a terrible narrative, such a hopeless narrative. 
In fact, the narrative has been so bad that by the time, just, just before COVID hit, between 1996 and 2014, a, a huge population study was done looking at what's going on. There's something weird going on. We're advancing in medicine, we're advancing in technology, and the decades-long trend of people living longer because of advances in medicine and technology was suddenly starting to change. It was suddenly starting to go backwards. By 2014, and then confirmed by 2021, we're sitting now in 2021, where instead of people living longer because of advances in medicine technology, people are dying 8 to 25 years younger from preventable lifestyle issues. In other words, mind management. That is shocking that we live in a world with medicine and technology where it's at and people are dying younger. Unacceptable. And if you track it back, it's preventable lifestyle diseases. And what, what runs lifestyle? Mind. And, and, and also what, and this, this started 40 years ago. And so you can't just do this kind of thing and expect no consequences. So now we're sitting in an era and our COVID hits. And then it's taken another year of people's life. And now they want to carry on with that narrative. And they want to say, oh, now we need to increase screening to increase labeling of diagnoses. So get more people labeled with anxiety and depression and get more people on drugs. And hopefully in a bit of therapy, but a lot of the therapy is conditioning treatments, which doesn't get rid of this. So that's the picture, but there's hope. I mean, that's a very awful picture I've painted, but there is a grassroots movement. There is a lot of, there's, the majority of science is count, counters this. The problem is that the voice has been, the, that, that bad voice has been very strong, but there is a movement and I'm part of that movement. And, you know, you listening now are part of that movement and anyone who hears this message, and this is one of the main reasons I've written this book, is to tell people that you don't have to get sucked into that, that it's okay to have a mess because as you open your eyes and you experience, now, now you like numbers, Erin, the 8,000 to 10,000 events during the course of the day, which are informed by another 20 to 30,000 memories that you already have in thoughts that you already have. So your mind's going through like 30, 40, 50,000 um, thoughts in a day. There was 10,000 that you're building, eight, another 20 or 30,000 that are just existing that are coming up and being stimulated as you go through the event. All of that's experimental. None of us quite know how it's going to work out. So because it's experimental, it's messy. So number one, it's okay to be a mess. It really is. It's very normal. As you listen to something, you're trying to make sense of it. As you read that email, do that text, I mean, send, read that text, get into that business meeting, do the podcast, whatever it is that you're doing, have the conversation. Things happen. I mean, someone will say something to you, then you turn to your partner, your friend or whatever, and, and you say something you don't mean, and then you've got to, that's all okay, as long as we don't just stay in that mess. As long as we recognize, oops, I made the mess, catch it, fix it. And that's where the 10 seconds consciousness Awareness is great. So neuroscience shows us that we can do that every 10 seconds. So I'm not asking you to like set your stopwatch, ping, every 10 seconds. That's unrealistic. What I'm saying is that here's the science. You can self-regulate. You can do it all the time while you're awake. And you have veto power. And there's the liability question. You have two minds. You have one, you have mind. But your mind can split into two. And this is a good splitting. You can split into your wise mind, which is your survival mind, and you can, and then you have your messy mind. And we all know what that is. You're nodding. Like you know, you know when someone says to you, or maybe to each other, you ask each other some advice and you give each other this advice and you think, where did that come from? That was brilliant. It was just like this amazing advice. Or you just know something is right, or you just know what to do. That's your survival mind. We, are, we have this optimism bias. We are drawn to the negative, not because we like the negative, but because we've got to fix it. It's our wise survival mind that is saying all the time, survive, survive. So anything that's toxic, signals come out, fix this. Anything that's toxic in our environment, we're drawn to it to fix it. But we don't always know 
How? So you've got to experiment and you've got to give yourself grace to experiment. But then you've got to also monitor that experimentation. And that's management. That's, that's mind management. And that's what I mean by cleaning up your mental mess. You can stand back literally and observe your own thinking, feeling, and choosing every 10 seconds. That's what we see from neuroscience. And the minute you do that, you pull this ugly, toxic, whatever it is, whether it's the trauma, whether it's the toxic habit, whether it's just the pattern that you're in cycles from the past stuff from generations comes through, we can break those cycles. But all of that impacts what we're doing but we can watch ourselves we can see what are the patterns what are the cycles you can have a situation like just just the, the other day I was on, on the way to a workout with my daughter I've got four kids three of them work for me and my husband who you met works works with me so we're a family business so it's super easy to get irritated with each other when you're family you're living and working together 24 7 so we have to really work at this we 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 apply the the neurocycle, which is a system I've developed all the time. The other day I got up, I was just, I'd gone to bed too late. I'd done too much, do too much stuff. Didn't, didn't apply all my things that I know what to do. So I also do it. I also make the messes, but I own it. And, and I got up, worked up and I was, knew I was worked up and I knew I must do a neurocycle, but I rushed off to my workout because I woke up late and um, my daughter was in the car with me and she said something totally innocent about a production we were doing that day. And I got totally irritated. I snapped at her and here I'm the mother, here I'm the mental health expert and here I'm making such a mess. And then we get to the workout because it's two minutes away. We jump out of the car, run into Orange Theory, jump on the treadmills and I, on the treadmill, I did my neurocycle. I immediately did the five steps of the neurocycle because I, by recognizing I've made a mess. So I owned it. And I immediately did the whole process and caught my daughter's eye. She caught my eye because she was as irritated with me as I was with her. I mean, we own it. We're not scared to say this. And we caught each other's eye within five minutes of being on the treadmill, gave each other a big smile. And after class, it was like, who could get to each other to say sorry first? So what could have been a mess and an ugly day and a you know a day where that could have that argument could have you know messed up the whole day it could have put a bad feeling on the day I mean you all know what I'm talking about we caught it so I'm not saying that I'm that I've got it all together I developed the system I've been in it 38 years I worked in clinical practice for 25 years I should have ha I should have it all together and here I'm telling you I'm 57 I've been in the field for 38 years I've got four kids I've been married 34 years I still mess up but I know what to do. That's the difference. I can catch it fast. And it's, and it's getting, I'm getting so good at it that as it's happening, I'm catching it. And I'm neurocycling all the time. It's become a lifestyle. And I'm recognizing the patterns that I need to then spend daily time working out. I mean, that's the system. And we can jump into that now. So I've said a lot. You guys want to ask me some more questions. And by the way, I drink organic coffee. And I've got a double espresso in here because it's double espresso. <laughs> <laughs> I like I okay so I want to go all the way back um there's you know several people within our community who are who I mean if you're human I agree with you if you're human you have anxiety you have depression you have negative thoughts you, like you have all of these things exist um and I'm a true believer in if we weren't meant to feel them in one way or another for some purpose they wouldn't exist exactly so, right so um when I think about, um, you know, the diagnoses that, that come out, I think that perhaps it's just our way. If, if we don't understand that it's a matter of managing your mind, not necessarily that something's broken with your brain. I think that it's our way of trying to understand what it is that I'm struggling with. So we put the label depression on it, or we put the label um, anxiety on it. 
Yeah. Because we're trying to understand and comprehend what's happening. And so we make this box. And then what our issue is, is we get trapped inside this box and we become small because we think we have to fit inside this box because that's what we've been told we are. And instead of saying, I can be who I want to be because that's my choice somebody's told me what I have to be. And so now I'm going to shrink myself to try to fit in this box. And now I'm uncomfortable because I'm stuck in there and I'm not supposed to be. So that's one thing. And what I would love to ask and know from you, and maybe this is part of the the five-step process that that it sounded like we were going to get into. Yes. yes. Um, Yeah is, you know, people who, people in our community now, I, I could imagine, I'm like, okay, if I were taking like antidepressants or things of this sort, because I know there are people in our community who are on, on yeah. these things and it's like, okay, well now, you know, I could imagine being like, well, should I be taking, should I not be taking these? Like, is this wrong for me? Is this bad for me? What happens if I go off of it? I feel like shit, da, da, da. it makes me sick and it does this and that. So I'm like, okay, before anybody like does anything dramatic, how do we approach this situation? I'm so glad you said that. And, and that you actually jumped, you, you actually were so good. You jumped in at the right point because I would have brought that up. So you answered that, you asked that beautifully and you explained that beautifully. Let's go back to your box. You do get put in a box and that's the issue. So that label for a time, I totally agree. Sometimes when you feel, when your mind, I mean, let's face it, when our mind's out of control, it's frightening. And when we feel immersed in depression where you can't move and just life is hopeless and you just want to die, that is frightening. And when you feel so anxious that you're, heart racing and you're having panic attacks it's it's really scary and especially if it's becoming a pattern especially if it's happening a lot so first of all to everyone out there who's experiencing that i'm if anything i am validating your experience i'm telling you that i i'm validated more than just giving you a label i see you as a whole human with a whole story and a whole context and a whole bunch of reasons why you're experiencing that so that's really number one and yes the label for a time can give us a sense of okay this is something it's not just nothing. It's not just me going crazy. So yes, a label can give you a level of comfort, but it's not sustainable because what a label does is exactly how you describe so beautifully. It puts you in that box and it limits you. And that's exactly what labels do. They limit you. So once you've got the label, then what? What's next? Now you just got to take drugs the rest of your life. You know, where's the hope in that? Or maybe get a bit of therapy. And then you, if you don't get the right kind of therapy, sometimes it can get worse because you just talk and talk and talk and you don't really get to a resolution. Um, I was interviewing someone yesterday on my live and you guys can go have a look at it. Nate, uh, a guy called Nate, who was raped multiple times as a child. I mean, so, so he had the most terrible, terrible story. And he got sucked up into the religious world and he got even more abuse and he went to like literally 30 years of therapy. And he said that 13 of those years were just such a waste of time. It got worse and worse and worse. And I'm not saying therapy is bad. Therapy is excellent. But he got sucked into a kind of therapy where he felt guilty, but he was being told he must do this, this, this. So what I'm trying to say here is you do need therapy. Therapy is so important. Support systems, counseling therapy, that label is okay, but helps you have comfort for a time. But the important thing here is that you have to still process this information. You don't want to stay stuck in that box. You don't want to stay... Because if I had five people in front of me now and they all had the diagnosis of clinical depression, does that mean that you all have the same disease? Absolutely not. Because depression is not an it. You aren't an it. And your experience cannot just be reduced to one word. We cannot medicalize your misery. So maybe we can stay start by saying, okay, you, your main thing that you're experiencing at the moment is severe depression. 
And that we acknowledge. But why? As you said earlier on, it's pointing to something. As I said earlier on, it's a warning signal of an underlying cause. So yes, you can, if you want, you can start with, okay, they've said I've got depression. That And if that's comforting, comforting for you, absolutely fine. But then just rephrase it and say, okay, I've got this depression, but what is it? It's not an it. It is a, it's a warning signal of an underlying cause. So I need to embrace the depression in order to process it to find the underlying cause, which is what the five steps are. And as you do those five steps, you can do those all the time. You always, your mind is always with you. You wake up with your mind, you eat with your mind, you get dressed with your mind, you you are talking with your mind, you're experiencing depression with your mind, you go to bed with your mind, you sleep, you have nightmares, your mind's always. So if you're going to therapy counseling, which is an excellent thing, you're there once or twice a week. What are you doing with yourself the other 24 hours of the day? You've got to know how to manage your mind. So that's where I come in. I come in to help you. How do I live with myself? How do I take this depression in the moment when I'm not with my therapist? How do I get the most out of my therapy? That kind of concept. So that's the one thing. So I'm not, and then the other side in terms of drugs, if you're on a medication, the last thing I want you to do is go dump it. So let's talk about drugs, medications. What do these mean? You get something called psychotropic drugs. Psychotropics are antidepressants anti-anxiety meds, antipsychotics, and stimulants like Ritalin. Okay, those are classified as psychotropic drugs. They're not medicines. They're drugs. They're anesthetics and stimulants, the last one. So an anesthetic, like when you go have surgery, you have an anesthetic that puts you to sleep. So these are very low doses of anesthetics that kind of change how your brain and numb your brain. So that's why they tempt, they initially they can actually be quite helpful because if you're in such terrible pain that you can't face anything in that moment, to have a bit of numbing just to get yourself going again is kind of helpful but the issue is they're very addictive and they have so many side effects and what doctors are supposed to do which they don't the majority don't is they're supposed to give you an informed consent which is a 14 page document that has been set up it's by the NICE the NICE guidelines of what these drugs are and what they do and if you read that and you knew what the side effects were and you were given alternatives most of the time you probably would say okay I'll take these for maybe a week just to get myself out of bed and then I will rather swap over into doing some serious good therapy that is really going to take me to the root of this issue so that's but that's not often done and if that didn't happen to you you're entitled as a patient to go back to your, your primary care physician or whoever prescribed and say please can you give me this informed consent thing I want to know more about what this, this is that you've got me on and what are the interactions and what are the side effects and and you know is there alternatives and is there a way of weaning off because so that's the other that's the next thing third thing is you never just stop any of these drugs because they change your brain. They change the neuro, your brain's neuroplastic. Neuro means brain, plastic means to change. And what that means is that your brain is always changing. The main thing that changes your brain is your mind. So that's nice to know because you control your mind. And you can actually get control back over your mind with your mind, which is really cool, okay? But also your brain changes whatever you put into it. So whatever drugs you put into your, um, your body will change your brain. Whatever you put onto your body, creams, shampoos, food, everything changes your brain. <clears throat> and this is why this, it's so important that you do also eat a healthy diet. The modern American diet is very damaging to the brain. In fact, 
listen, this is good news. The modern, not good news, it's kind of sort of good news. The modern American diet's more addictive and more dangerous for the brain than, than psychotropic drugs. So it's for a lot of, I mean, that's that's how serious this is. So psychotropic, modern American diet's also something we have to address. A lot of people, when they're on these drugs, you crave a lot of sweet stuff. That's one of the side effects. And so very often you're drawn to eating the wrong kind of diet and then you aren't always moving enough. So there's a, down, there's a downstream effect. So it's to be, you need to be aware of these things. So you need to know, okay, if I'm on these, there is an addictive component. You need to have a planning place for coming off. You need to know what those addictions are so you can get a planning place. You need to know about diet and exercise. But most importantly, you need to have a mind management planning place so that you can manage your mind because your mind can also be strong in preventing the side effects of those drugs to be as severe and also to make sure that when you withdraw, if you decide to withdraw, just, you know, you can drive the process more effectively. The way drugs work in your body is also very influenced by your mind. So if your mind is getting better you can you can start tapering yourself off the drugs off those meds so you never just stop them because if you stop them the changes that have happened in your brain um, if you just stop them like that it's a shock to your brain and to your system and so therefore you'll have a lot of withdrawal symptoms and those could be even suicidal ideation a lot of people do try to commit suicide when they just drop a drug so that's why you don't do that you never ever do that i'm not advocating that if you decide that you want to start changing your life and you want and you're on meds there's no guilt there's no condemnation this is what the doctors told you to do so it's not your fault there's nothing here that's your fault i want you to just take a deep breath and relax i validate you you have issues that like all of us have issues it's okay but if you want to plan to start changing it maybe your first little step is i honestly and i'm not trying to push my book on you but honestly this is invaluable information i can't see all of you for therapy but what you can do is you can get the book you can start learning the system I have a great podcast too, where you can listen to these, me giving you this advice. You can follow me on Instagram. So there's many ways I can speak into your life on a daily basis to help you. But that's the first thing. You have to know how to live with yourself 24-7. You have to learn about the power of your mind and get mind management. Then when you feel ready, go approach your doctor, ask them for that, that informed consent. Find out more about the meds that you're on and the side effects. Start asking for what is a good plan to start coming off. And one of the key issues to coming off is that you taper, T-A-P-E-R. You can't just, like, like, let's say you're on eight milligrams and you suddenly drop to four milligrams. That's too quick. It's literally a fraction that you drop a day so that your body adjusts. So tapering is the way. If you want to come off, tapering is, is, is very, very, very critical. And you need to be under a doctor who understands tapering. So if your doctor doesn't, go to another one. You're the, you're the, you're the client. You're the patient. You can go to who. You're not obliged to stick with one person. Go find the doctor who understands tapering, who will walk with you through the process. You will monitor your all your vitals and make sure when you come off that you have a support system, a good therapist, counselor, a um, family support system, friend support system, so that when you feel, hey, I feel like I want to jump in my car and just go, you know, drive off a bridge or something, that you can text your, your support team and they can be there texting you, being with you, with you. Maybe you have to move into you on your own moving with someone you know these are all things you can put in place to help you in the long run all i want is your mental health and physical health to be at a place where you are peaceful so for example in my clinical trial we had one of my subjects and i'm going to show you a picture of inside the brain and if you get the book you'll see that there's these really pretty images and this is this is the this is the brain looking down inside the brain and that's that's the nose and those are the ears and these are looking at the different energy frequencies in the brain so this is delta theta alpha beta gamma and how beta and all what that means is that your brain is responding to what's going on now what we want is gray we don't want blue 
Okay, we want gray. Gray, think of the, the easiest way to understand this is to think of the waves in the sea. And the waves in the sea, they flow like the huge waves at the, like if you go far out to sea, you get these massive waves. And then as you come in, they're not as big. And then you get the, they, they build up to the big wave. And then you get the crest on the top and then they crash on the beach and you get little ripples. And then it sucks back in and the whole thing, that's what you, that's a gray brain. That's, that's what we want. And we all have our own version of that, but we want that kind of flow. And we want that happening, get my skull brain out across both sides of the brain. That means I'm going to have enough blood in my brain and oxygen. And there's going to be a balance between the two sides of the brain. And it means the different parts inside can do what they're doing. And that means that my DNA and my body are getting the correct instructions. And it just means that I've created an environment where I'm more resilient. doesn't mean I'm not going to be depressed or anxious, but I know what to do about it. Okay, so this particular case subject was in my experimental group, which meant that this particular subject got the neurocycle, the five-step process that I've developed to manage your mind. So over 38 years, I've developed a system called the neurocycle, which is five steps that have been meticulously worked out to get all this brain stuff and body stuff happening. And when, um, that, so this, this person got that. Okay, this is, this is one of the subjects. <laughs> So day one, day 21, day 63, they got tested. So very quickly, I looked in their brain. I looked at blood markers, like what's your inflammation, like what's your immune system doing, what's your heart doing, that kind of stuff. What are the biomarkers? I also looked at the person's psychological aspects, what's going on with, you know, where, where are you in terms of anxiety, depression. I have a scale as well, which looks at how effective is your mind management. Are you even mind managing? And we also, the most important thing is we looked at the narrative. Who are you? What's your story? What's happening? You know, that's the most important aspect. So we looked at all that stuff at day one, 21 and 63. And then there were three, four other points that we also looked at them. So, so the point is that seven times these people were evaluated. So they were made very aware of their issues. This person at day one was saying, I am clinical depression. It was their identity, not even, not even I feel, but I am the label, the box. They said they had tried everything, every medication, combinations of medication, therapies. They were so depressed they could hardly get out of bed. They was their work life had gone for a loop. Their relationships had gone for a loop. They were they were they were ready to check out. And this particular person, that's what the blue brain is, shows low energy, flat wave, not that nice wave I described, but flat wave. Long story short, they did the neurocycle every day for 15 to 45 minutes in app version. It was in an app. And this, by the way, this there is an app that goes with it called the NeuroCycle app, which is available on, on um, Google and iTunes. Um, it should be, it used to be called Switch. So some of you may have it already, but from today or tomorrow, it swaps over to NeuroCycle and it's got tons of content on how to manage panic attacks and um, overgeneralization and um, per perfectionism and everything. And this book's also got those examples in as well. Okay, so what happened? On day 21, after using the neurocycle every day for 15 to 45 minutes, this person got a gray brain. This is, I mean, this is radical. This is someone who was had given up. This meant that this person was no longer saying, I am depression. They were saying, I feel depressed because of, and it's okay. Listen to that. From I am depression to I feel depressed because of, and it's okay. Because of, so they knew there was a source. There was a reason. They were starting to see it. They were starting to feel better, sleep better. By day 63, and the reason we go to day 63 is that to, to create a habit doesn't take 21 days. In 21 days, you'll find this toxic tree, you'll break it down and you'll reconstruct it into a healthy tree that you can say, I've, I, I feel depressed because, oh, but this is what I'm going to do with my life from now, now going forward. But to, to make, that'll happen by day 21. But to make this strong enough to actually impact your day-to-day -day life, your behaviors, uh, to be a habit, takes 63 days. So day 63, the brain's even 
more gray, we're getting more green. And that green is saying, is telling us that I know what to do. This person was saying at day 63, I understand depression. It's okay if I'm depressed and anxious. I embrace them. I'm not scared of them because when I do that, then I can find out they're telling me something about my body. They're warning me. I'm so excited if I get depression. This sounds crazy. This is the kind of comments they made because not because I'm depressed, but because as soon as I feel depressed, I know what to do. I can manage it. It's not a scary thing that controls me. It is something that's telling me something. And here I can go do my neurocycle and I can find out why I'm feeling depressed today. I can find my activator. I can find my antidote, I can do something. And I allow myself to be depressed because it's telling me it's part of my character development. Allow yourself the guilt, the condemnation, all those things, but allow it. But when I say allow it, I don't say wallow. I say recognize. There's a huge difference. I'm not saying wallow and sit there and stay there. I'm saying embrace it to do something with it. And embrace means bring it in your fold, gather it into your fold because it's telling you a message. It's a helpful messenger. It's not a bad enemy. It's not your enemy. So embrace it for the message. It's hard through your tears, through your panic attack, you can embrace and you can move through and then give yourself permission to feel those emotions. Part of those emotions are part of our character development. Does that kind of answer that question? Um, More than. And I want to, and I want to say to you, like everybody, I, I, I'm trying to keep up. I was trying to keep up with the comments, but also trying to listen. Um, but I know that the comments will disappear and not come with the video afterwards. So there's like a resounding thank you so much for being here and for sharing this information because it's not what I'm noticing too, is it's not telling somebody what they have to do. You're not here to tell somebody you have to do this. Uh, get off your medication. It's bullshit. Uh, no, your the doctors are wrong. This and that. It's we understand that this is the scenario that we're in, and there's a reason for it. We get it. But also, here's what you can do to regain your personal control of yourself. Yes, that's it. That will it's a sense of empowerment and I and I explained that in the book as well that's why I put the science in the book in a super easy way it's so encouraging because when you're in a bad place to know that these pictures I give you pictures and there's science to show you hey I don't feel that I'm improving but the brain science says I am because in those I, I can see I know from the research and from the testing and stuff that I know what's happening in your brain as you go through day one day three day seven day 14 as you go through the 63 days I've done the research to show you your brain's improving and your brain and your body and your non-conscious mind, which is the biggest part of you, know what's happening before you're aware of it. So very often, not very often, our conscious awareness and our behaviors always lag behind our actual changes that are happening. So that's why I say you pursue this for you work in cycles of 63 days. And sometimes you need multiple. If you've had major trauma, you, you may have multiple cycles of 63 days, but you, you that's been done. The evidence is there. Keep going, even though you feel like it's hard and it's painful. And things do get worse before they get better. I mean, if you've been multiply abused as a child, like that example of that guy, that nature is just amazing. I mean, he, he as, as, as a five-year-old, he was already raped multiple times. As he started, he, he suppressed and, and whatever. But as he started seeing what was happening, and my patients went through this too, when you start seeing and remembering, sorry, <clears throat> I've spoken so much in the last few days, my voice is going. Um, when you start recognizing and seeing, oh my God, that happened to me. It's like, it's awful. It's traumatic. You, In fact, that, that picture that I showed you, that particular subject, that subject said that 
that they got a little bit more anxious in the process and they got actually more depressed, but it was a different kind of anxiety and depression. It was an anxiety and depression because they saw what had happened. You've got to go back to that child of five and actually see, you know, now as an adult, go back and see what you, the pain you experienced as a child. You've got to kind of go and rebuild that. You've got to go reconstruct it. So it gets worse before it gets better. And I want to show you that's okay. And that's why I said, and stress, you need a support system. You need that, you know, and, and the therapy and, and stuff, but you can't just go to therapy without manage what do you do with your mind the rest of the time you know that's why i'm trying to put the tool in your hands that you can manage every moment of the day the big stuff and the patterns in our life the 24 7 and then get more out of your therapy or counseling or your chats with your friends and you become someone who this you you will help others this is also the idea and this is called bench therapy i did this a lot in south africa and zimbabwe there's actually a therapy called bench therapy where they didn't have therapists and expensive therapists and I set this up in South Africa too. And it's where if you are being helped, you don't have to be a PhD or a doctor to help someone. If you understand this, you can help anyone because you people will see you doing it and say, hey, listen, I tried this. Why don't you try this process? So you can pay it forward. And then when you help someone else, you improve your own healing by 68%. I don't know if you've got that. Your own healing bumps up. Every time you reach out in the midst of your worst, if you're feeling like really bad and you know you just need a bit of a boost, go help someone else quickly with their problem and you'll get that boost. You'll get a 68% boost in resilience and then you'll be able to work on your stuff. So there's all kinds of cool things that you can do. <laughs> yeah, so it's not, I don't want to tell anyone what to do. I just want to equip people with the awareness that you're brilliant. Your mind, your, you have your wise mind, which is your survival mind and your messy mind and it's okay. Both are fine. Everything's okay. It's You're a human and here's what you do about it. What we don't want you to do is stay stuck and wallowing. We want you to be able to grab it, process it, and move forward. As soon as you grab it and embrace it, all these little protein branches weaken. That's what neuroscience shows us. If they're weaker, you can change them. It's the pathway to empowerment. When you recognize your autonomy and your agency and recognize that even in the midst of all of this, I'm still going to cry, I'm still going to whatever, but that's okay because as soon as I face it, I can deconstruct it, which is cool, and it gets weaker. You said something amazing. I feel like I'm taking all of the talking. That's there. okay. That's okay. Um, you said something amazing. You're like, I, and I don't know where this percentage came from, but you said there's a 68% boost in your resilience when you help someone else overcome. Yeah. Scientific research. You guys, why do you think we do espresso every day? It's selfish, completely selfish. <laughs> we are just helping ourselves. I, I realized this. No, so, so that's a joke. But at the same time, Ellen DeGeneres, one time she's like, I was told I should go to therapy. And she's like, why would I pay for a stranger to listen to me talk when I can get strangers to pay to listen to me talk? And I thought that that was genius, but you guys, it's really true. Like, I think that all humans want to help. We all do. It's survival mode. So we wired for love. The scientists have literally said, I didn't mean to interrupt you, sorry. We wired for love. Our brain and our body are wired for love and our mind. And that means that love is survival and survival is connection. One quantum physicist that I follow talks about the fact that it's not about you, it's about you in the world. And think of waves. When waves in the sea, when they hit each other and they go under each other, they get bigger. So when two waves, so she has, she has two waves. When they go on, they grow. So this is what's happening. We enhance each other. So we're not in a competitive world. We are but we shouldn't be. Competition creates damage in the brain and the body. Enhancement actually grows people and incre increases intelligence. So everyone competing out there is missing the boat. If you want to really grow in life, 
you just got to enhance someone else. And then you lift your own intelligence. It's all about enhancement, not competition. Competition creates flatline. The two waves cancel each other out and both suffer. But enhancement is two waves on top of each other. And when people get their mind right and clean up their mental mess, you go into enhancement. And the, can, can you imagine the world? Can you imagine the difference in, 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 in all, the, all the racism and isms and the gender isms and all the things that are going on in the world, how they would change if we were enhancing? That's what also I have a very strong ulterior motive with my work, and it's a good one. It's a healthy one. It's to get people's minds right so we can operate back in love and back in enhancement. And then this disparity that we live in and this, this toxic environment that we live in currently can be, can be altered. And it takes us. It takes the Espresso Club. It takes the people listening. It takes all of us coming together and having these conversations. And, and 100 people can, can influence a million people. And a million people can influence 7 million people. There's an exponential calculation. As we start changing, we can create this wave. And in quantum physics, particles, what they do when they move from one area to the next, they kind of build up motion, like when you swing, when you push a swing, and it, initially it's quite hard, and then suddenly it builds, and then suddenly whoops, it goes. That's what we're doing at the moment. We, with These conversations are creating this movement, and eventually we'll shift. And we're in that process now. We'll be shifting to a more enhanced world, which is more loving, which is more... You know, what humans are supposed to be. We're acting like avatars at the moment. You know, so <laughs> not us, them. <laughs> this is amazing. You know what? Uh, I have another interview right now. Literally, yes. I'm already late. Um, but it's not a problem. I can just, I, I've got to jump off. But I'd love to come back again and invite myself back again to finish the conversation. Because we didn't finish the conversation. So I'm so sorry. I have to go because I'm already supposed okay. to be. Can ready. you pick a number gonna- from 3 to 63? Absolutely. Uh, 60. 60. Okay. Jessica Grant. Jesse Grant. You're, you're going you're gonna to get Dr. Caroline's book. Oh, wow. Cool. Clean up your mental and, mess. And we will have to have a part two of this, you guys. Caroline, we don't want to keep you anymore. We are so grateful for your time. This is absolutely incredible. You can see the hearts everywhere for you um and we'll get in touch so we can have a part two sound good thank you so much it's so good meeting you and i have so enjoyed being spending time with you thank you for having me on your show and bye-bye awesome. thanks sorry i have to go bye okay. bye guys take care thank you for listening to espresso with aaron and Suri. on your way out be sure to check out our website erinandsuri.com to keep up to date with what we have going on and maybe grab some free stuff And if you feel so inclined, hop on over to leave us a five-star review, wink, wink. And remember, life is more fun when you subscribe to Aaron and Sarit.